From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast. It's the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com and LondonNewsToday.ca. And to join us here on the Friday Roundtable this week, we have former City Council of Cheryl Miller is here. Uh, doctoral candidate A.J. Ray is with us. And for the first time on the Roundtable, but uh, many times on the podcast, uh, Steve Cordes from uh, YOU is here. Uh, thank you very much for being here, everybody. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, you should. That's great. (laughs) Welcome, Steve. Yeah, you should. Sunny outside. It is sunny. Have my bathing suit on underneath here because I was in backyard working. (laughs) Well, we'll get you out of here as soon as we can. I'm envious. Uh, Let's start with the breaking news from this morning, and that is that Monty McNaughton is resigning from Doug Ford's cabinet and resigning from provincial politics. He'll be giving up his seat uh, in his resignation letter that he posted publicly for Ontarians. Uh, He has noted that this is not because of uh, the blow up with the green belt. (laughs) That being said, this is still the third cabinet minister to resign in the last 14 days. And I'd have a lot of nickels if we, you know, believed in those coincidences. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so that is an awkward part of this. Nonetheless, I think the, the, the practical part that matters most here is Monty McNaughton was A, the Minister of Labor, B, in my opinion, doing a great job, and C, probably the most reliable cabinet minister Doug Ford had. And now he doesn't work there anymore. Cheryl, what was your reaction when you heard this morning in the news? Uh, disappointment. Um, I think he's probably one of the best uh, uh, ministers we've had for years in, in this province. And, and I don't think this is coincident. I don't think Monty had anything to do with that. He's not that kind of a person. So the green belt didn't affect him. But what I loved is in his statement, he, he talked about why he was leaving, but he didn't say the line that just makes me ill every time I hear, I'm leaving because I want to spend more time with my family. Yeah. I mean, that's bullshit. Yeah. You don't go into politics if you are if you want to spend time with your family. It takes everything out of you, trust yeah. me. So the fact that his letter of resignation was lovely, that the thing that I'm going to miss the most is his accessibility. He was classy, and I love the fact he was, um, he's in a workshop, and he asked the people, the young people there, show me what you're doing, gets right involved, and has really created a, a different feeling with the, the workers in Ontario, which is usually under the NDP, that they really he built some bridges that I oh. think that if you asked progressive conservative members ten years ago, is this possible? They would have told you absolutely not. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He did that not and, only and, bridges but friendship. Yeah, and, and even stuff like you know when when uh, there were some people at Tim Hortons complaining about. Uh, uh, not being able to hire workers and money's response, pay them more. Like, what, what, what do you want me to do? Like, that, you know, like, <laughs> and business. that that is not typically how a no. progressive conservative labor minister would respond to something That's like that. Right. But Monty, correctly, reading the green and realizing, yeah, no, the reason you can't keep workers is because you're not paying them enough money. That's right. Like, you know, he, he, he was smart and realized that this is, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Well, he was honest. And yeah. I think you can't say that for a lot of politicians. Yeah. There was no bullshit attached to him. I, I have to say, I met Monty for the first time uh, he came for an undergrad visit put on by the campus conservatives at Waterloo when he was running for leadership that first time, uh, which he didn't have a chance yeah. in hell of Too becoming yeah. you know, leader. But what I will say is I immediately noticed he is a genuine politician that has a passion for the people that yeah. he is serving and he is representing. One of the biggest things that I think you know we'll remember his time here because i actually don't think he's done in politics i no, think, I don't think you know so my cynical take on this is mm-hmm. he's getting away from the doug ford brand and the ford flagpole government and which i'll explain later no, uh, but i think you know he's he's probably going to be back in politics whether that's under a polyev government as a federal cabinet minister or in 10 years when the cycle repeats and the liberals screw up again and the pcs get reelected. um I think we will see Monty back in politics. But the one thing that I absolutely loved about Monty is he fixed a really serious issue in the oh, construction yes, industry on bathrooms. Yep. Yes. And now yep. every construction site has multiple clean bathrooms that are monitored yep. and kept up to date. And, you and know, not that like was a just... porta potty with the door falling off. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, for workers in that province, in this province, that was a huge play. And, you know, Hats off to Monty for what he's done, and I I do really think that we're not seeing for women. He wants women in trade provide them the provide the them with bathrooms. That's it. 
that yeah. come with menstrual yeah. products. Yep. What a concept. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, that coming from a progressive conservative cabinet minister, I think, speaks volumes to yeah, where he's going to go in politics. Yeah. Well, my 40 years of doing this work, uh, I'd have to say he's probably the most accessible minister I've ever had, mm-hmm. uh, one of the at provincial or federal level. And he attunes. He listens right in. He doesn't come in with a platform. Uh, he was just at our woodshop about a month or so ago. And side by side with some kids building uh, some cutting boards. Uh, he's very accessible around opportunities. He's a good advocate for his constituency and for the province as well. So, uh, yeah, I wrote him a note already. I'm going to miss him. He's mm. been a great a great asset. I want to go back to, to AJ's point because I agree with it. And I, and I haven't talked to Monty. I, I I sent him a message earlier today sort of saying, hey, you know, I, I wish you well with whatever's next. And and some of his staff, I've sent them uh, messages as well saying the very same thing because I don't know what's next for them and if they're, they're going to stay at the Ministry of Labor or whatever it's going to be. And, and I don't know who the Labor Minister is going to be. We're going to find that out at some point That's today. That's a big question. Uh, and, and we may know that by the end of the, the time we record this podcast, but at some point we're going to find that out. I want to go back to your point because, look, this is obviously bumpy times for the Ford Conservatives, and we're going to get to the Greenbelt in a second. And we've already had two cabinet ministers uh, resign because of Greenbelt. We've got Las Vegas trips and stag and does and all that stuff. Uh, from a pure political calculation here, and I know he's got some family concerns and, that, and he wants to be closer to his, his young daughter and his wife uh, as opposed to commuting to and from Toronto and all else, everywhere else over the province. I get that. Um, at some point, though, don't you have to think to yourself, maybe he's just trying to lay low for a while while things get ugly here. And he gets to come back and say, hey, I was a pretty good minister of labor. Maybe I should be the next leader of the progressive conservatives whenever this goes off the rails for Ford and company. And hey, maybe it won't. Maybe Doug Ford's going to be reelected premier in 2026. I don't know. Uh, that's a long time between now and then. But I, I think that that scenario at least to be somewhat on his mind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Really what we're seeing from Monty and I think what we may see from a couple other cabinet ministers, I don't think the resignations are done actually. I think this might be a little bit of a rethink for some people in this government about where they think Ford is going. And what I want to say is the Ford government has been okay, but every single mistake they have been making has been self-inflicted because they've adopted an approach to policy that I like to call flagpole politics. You take a policy, you run it up the flagpole, you see how it blows in the wind of public opinion, and then you decide whether or not you're going to leave it up, you're going to pull it down to half-mast, you're going to take it off the flagpole, or you're going to take the whole flag and repaint it a different color and then put it back up again to see what people think. And I think really what we're seeing here is the outcome of that, because you have a genuine minister who cares about well-thought-out and evidenced policies that is trying to work within a government that doesn't care about the evidence. They just want to see what the court of public opinion decides on their policies. And it's frustrating because I think this government and some of the people in it have a lot of potential to do real good in this country. And unfortunately, we've lost one of them. And I think we're going to lose a couple more over the coming months. Um, And we'll see whether or not this government gets reelected with Ford as leader. Another thing that conservatives could be thinking about right now is does Ford actually have the support of his cabinet and the party to continue to lead and make these mistakes? Um, and maybe it is time for a leadership review. Because I, I would think there would be some progressive conservative uh, members of provincial parliament and, and members of the cabinet who are sitting here thinking, man, you screwed up. We just lost Steve Clark out of our cabinet for nothing. Yeah. And that guy's toxic now. Yeah. And, we, and, and all we got out of this was trouble like there's the the positives of getting the green belt developed which obviously vary based on who you might be listening to uh and some people might say they don't exist at all uh they got nothing out of it no and so they're back to square zero again. yeah yeah so they they none of the positives all maybe even square minus two. yeah yeah they're 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 behind <laughs> yeah they're, they're, behind. They're, they're 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 behind they're not ahead so i just look at this and think to myself you know you, you lose steve clark you lose monty mcnaughton which may or may not be related but whatever like th- those are two big like big losses for them. Yeah, well, it's this holy grail about the green belt. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's it's land that was put in there by the liberal Absolutely. government. Well, to, me, go- to me, my issue is not they wanted to build something on the green belt. My issue is How they, the, the process. Oh, of yes. course. Yes. The, yes. the process sucked. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. terrible. And <clears throat> the fact that, that ministers deny what... You know, the radio guy, woman phoned up and said, I loved her interview. Can you tell me what a massage, a, ha- um, a, a lucky massage is? And then all of us go, oh, yeah, I know what a lucky massage is. But, of course, they don't tell you that over no. the phone. And then 
how do you just run into people in a lobby and then I'll go for a massage yeah. and you can't get three massages at the same time. You can only book two. So like the bullshit, yeah. like people like that absolutely destroy a government. Yes. Um, and I don't, I mean, people think Ford is terrible. I I love the fact that he has the ability to say, I'm sorry, Yep. I, I goofed up. I promised this. Yeah, I but, broke my prom. Well, Trudeau will never say that. Yeah, but yeah. never. And, and, and I, I acknowledge that, but I just don't know how many points we give someone for presiding over an obviously corrupt process and then realizing the heat's getting a little too hot in this kitchen, so yeah. we're going to have to bail out here. I, you got to know that the process is going. And that's the problem yeah. with him is he's trusting the wrong people. Well, yes. I don't even know if he's trust like his yes. like his daughter Stag and Doe was part of this. Well, and like, I that's, I actually think yeah. Occam's razor applies here. I don't actually think Ford knew what was going on in his stag and doe. Yeah. I don't even know if Minister Clark really knew what was going on in his stag and doe beyond that. He knew there were developers that, again, people are welcome to buy tickets to any event. And it is a very common thing across all parties for these types of social events for people who yep. want to lobby yep. to buy tickets to these yep. events. What I think actually happened here is the staff member in Clark's office, as well as now Ford's resigned housing advisor, yeah. we're probably doing things not in the right way. And unfortunately, it falls to the minister to know what their staff are doing. And I think they didn't really know the extent of the corruption that was going on with their own staff. And we see that in the Auditor General report. The Auditor Generals, you know, didn't really lay the blame on Steve Clark or Rob Ford for knowing what was going on. She laid the blame on them for not, not knowing new. what yeah, was going on. Yeah, supervising your staff. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. Right. And so and the buck stops with them. Yeah. Uh, to be very, I, I just like, there. there's so much here as far as like, you know, thou, thou doth protested too much when it comes to the NDP posting the photo of the guest list for, yes. the, for the daughter's wedding. Like, yeah. if this wasn't a big deal, why did you freak out about it? Yeah, exactly. Like, so I, that that that's the stuff where I'm like, that's oh, okay. poll numbers. Come on, we all yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but know, why? Like but if, they, if, says, if 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 they, if nothing bad happened to that wedding, why do you say to the NDP, well, why are you posting pictures of the of the guest list at the daughter's well, wedding? Well, first of all, well, why, I think why the hell that. would you even bother about the NDP? Yeah, Shit, I mean, there's 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 no strength there. Sure, there's yeah. nothing. Well, talk to the progressive conservatives about that. They're the ones that got mad. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that that also is Ford's style as a politician he is a family person oh, yes, it, we, we see that in how he makes decisions and how he interacts with people and i think for him there's rules of engagement when you bring family into this and yeah you know I, I get that it's a wedding in which there were a lot of people who had interest in provincial decisions right. and that's there it. It, it crossed the line from family to business yeah, exactly and, I get it. and so ford ford i think was struggling with that do yes. i think that he reacted in the right way politically no do i think he acted in the way that i know he probably would act in t those types of situations absolutely and i if if it was me yeah. and they un understood People would call up and they would talk to my kids and debate and argue with my kids when I was on council. And I'd phone them up. I'd say, you ever do that again? Okay. They're not the they're not the politician. Yeah. I'm the politician. Yeah. So when they bring your family in it, the first thing you do is yeah. circle around and protect them. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. I mean, the, the only leader. people you can criticize. He did apologize. He is the leader. Yes. He did apologize. Yeah. Which was great. That takes a lot of courage. Yep. I think uh, Monty, uh, we were chatting earlier, his first election was when he was 20 years old, right? Yeah. He was elected to uh, Newbury Town Council at the age of 20. Yeah. Yes. So I really hope he actually does come back to politics. So whether he does or doesn't, I hope he does because he's been stellar on his integrity, stellar on his commitment. Uh, he's accessible uh, on all those fronts. Uh, if he got out for the right reasons, we well, probably got out for the right reasons. Uh, but I hope he's looking at this down the road and come back in. Yeah, and 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 here's the thing. I, I will say that I was of the belief that the Ford government was going to sit and take the abuse and just move forward with the Greenbelt thing. So was yeah. that? Yeah. They so did. I, yeah. I thought they were going to commit to it but or at I, least, you know, proceed with the review yeah. and then figure out, okay, did we really screw up on one or two of these properties and need to rethink it? Because again, I completely agree with Cheryl on this. And I think many people around the table, if they had followed the process mm -hmm. under the regulation and just said, because we are in a housing crisis, we're doing it early, yep. would have been completely justifiable. Yep. And I do think there are a couple properties that were taken out that you can justify. One of them being yep. in Pickering that literally is on top of the York-Durham sewer connector. It is a massive pipe that goes up to York Region that has so much excess capacity that, yes, it makes perfect sense to open that up. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to I 
challenge any progressive Torontonian or, you know, Mississauga person that owns a $1.2 million house because they bought it 20 years ago, go take a Sunday drive this weekend out into the Greenbelt and tell me how many McMansions you see and how many family farms you see. I can tell you that when you go out in the Greenbelt, you will see very few farms, but you will see a lot of Toronto's rich and famous with their massive McMansions and their luxury cars and their four pools and their Ferraris sitting out on the driveway because that's what the Greenbelt has become, a playground for the rich and famous in Toronto and not actually protecting agricultural natural heritage. Right. And I, this is the problem that we need to address as a society. And I, I, I agree with that right. entirely. Um, but the issue is now it's politically toxic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no absolutely. One, no Nobody's going to touch this with 10 No anything like yeah. for 25 years. Yeah. I, and least. I think the next review, they've unfortunately now capped it that the public service is going to be afraid of recommending any removals. Right. Um, do I support an expansion of the Greenbelt? Absolutely. I think the Waterloo Region countryside line should be added in. That policy environment there is a perfect addition to expand the Greenbelt. Why aren't we talking about the growth politics down here? This is some of the best farmland in the entire country. And we're not talking about provincial protection for it. We're just relying on municipalities to do something. And as I've said many times, every time we knock off a story in London, it's getting printed out as another farm in Lucan or in Thamesford That's right. or yep. up in I, Huron County. I, and I, we're losing I was, farmland by the minute. I was driving through Lucan. They got yep. a nice big uh, complex coming in there. I was driving through Lucan on the weekend. I went to Kincardine for my father-in-law's birthday. And uh, what do I see there? But they're doing a nice big complex with a new grocery store and all this yep. stuff. And you know yep. what used to be there? Farms. Big farms. Yep. Yeah. A big yep. farm. Uh, Elderton, same deal. There's a big subdivision going in there. I drove by a couple of yep. seconds ago. That Come used to be a farm. Okay. And yep. the more people you bring in, the more services it attracts and the more it attracts people wanting to live there, especially mm -hmm. if the housing is cheaper than what they can get in here and they can still drive within 20 minutes to we a job. We had a committee of adjustment meeting yesterday and three applications, three multifamily apartment buildings. Good. Three. New in London. So they're building up, but we're actually starting to strain. It's like after your... You know, Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. Unloosen that belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to start looking at our belt yeah. and loosening it a bit. Yeah. But it's our nature to look at the nimbyism of, you know, hey, I, I want it built up. I like the idea of an intensively developed city, but kind of in this neighborhood and that neighborhood, yeah. but not, <laughs> not in my, in my neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. That's right. exactly. No, no. exactly. Never in my neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? Let's, let's talk about that now. I, I want to talk about the hubs because the, 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 the nimbyism transitions beautifully into it. Uh, How apropos. Yes. Yeah, so uh, first, let's, let's just get uh, from Steve because uh, Youth Opportunities Unlimited, uh, which I've talked about on this podcast before, is uh, one of the tremendous organizations in this city, Steve, and, and you and, and, and the board there, whoever's on it, uh, deserve a lot of credit for making, uh, making that be the case. Uh, YOU is getting one of the hubs. You're going to be one of the operators of the hubs per yeah. city staff. It has not been approved by uh, by yeah. SPPC yet. It's or been by recommended. Council, but yep. it's been recommended by staff. I, yeah. I, I, I would be very surprised if that didn't go ahead, but let's see. Uh, yeah. Steve, uh, why did YOU want to be involved? What do you think YOU can accomplish in this space? Well, you know what? When uh, we started that Health and Homelessness Summit uh, about a year ago now, uh, I was attending those meetings along with many others, the 200 individuals, 70 organizations we've all talked about before. I went into it and, our, and my colleagues at YOU went into it thinking, we're going to support the process. We would not be bidding on Hub. And uh, I had some concerns. What's really going to be different this time? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a shelter system in place. We have some affordable housing. I think we all know we need more. Uh, but uh, what's going to be different for folks that are living in encampments and I wasn't sure that wow, you had a, a place to play on that. And I also wasn't sure on uh, who could have a place to play on that, actually. Right. As you get into uh, what, the, uh, what the model has been and become, and I, you know, I kind of reached a point and said, okay, either we're out or we jump in with both feet. We're the, one of the last organizations to put in a support letter for the, uh, for the Health and Homeless Summit series. So when we actually did, it was very intentionally because what we saw coming together and what's beautiful is health and homelessness. I always equate it to uh, anybody that has a, a, a four-wheel vehicle. I got a two-wheel two vehicle. You got a mechanical problem with your vehicle. You go in and you say, you know what? I want to get some new tires. Well, actually, you need a new transmission. I, just get me the tires and let me go. Well, that's not fixing your problem. 
I just want the tires. Well, we've kind of done that on homelessness in the past. We just say, okay, give more social services. Don't change it. Just expand more and more and more. What we haven't done is found a way to bring healthcare into the model to look at how are we actually helping people move out of homelessness. And I think that's what we have an opportunity to do here. So I'm thrilled with the recommendation. I know it goes before council. We respect the process. Uh, they'll make their decision, but uh, they've got a good package in front of them. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm really supportive of the EU application. I think you're one of the best providers in the city, and I think it'll be a slam dunk as a private citizen to recommend that council should fullheartedly endorse you when it comes to this application. Um, and just want to clarify for folks, we found a geography error with the maps that have been shared. Uh, this overnight shelter is not going at your downtown location, to be clear, right? No, that's it's, right. That's it's right. been proposed down on Clark Road. That's right. Yeah. So I think, you know, just shouting out to all the reporters that may be listening, if you can maybe update your maps on London Free Press and other news outlets like CTV to get that correct address in there, I think that's going to be huge for explaining to the public where these areas are going and where these hubs are proposed. Exactly. The downtown location uh, uh, where Jones Place is, is being built uh, there'll be a clinic in there. Yeah, and, and I was talking about but that not with, overnight. Yeah, and I was talking about that with colleagues the other day because uh, the the address that they have on the city's um, the city staff report is where Jones Place is going to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I was originally surprised by that. I'm like, well, Jones Place is not nearly ready yet. No. Uh, so I'm like, okay, maybe there's going to be something across the street because obviously you have space across the street there as well, and you have space right. next door to Jones Place too. Do you not? Uh, we do. Yes. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's going to be in one of these places, but no, it's not. No. It's going to be elsewhere. No. So where's it going to be? The transitional yeah. spaces, the six transitional spaces, well, the hub at the uh, 800 uh, Commissioner's Road campus is being built. Uh, those six accommodation spaces will be uh, in addition to the 30 uh, that are within our shelter at Clark Road. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing some slight amendments within the shelter yeah. space to make room for some. Because I do remember space. staff saying, hey, we're hoping that these are not necessarily in OEV or in the downtown core. Right. To start. Right. And then and two end up in the it, core area. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah. Core-ish. Core-ish. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but, you know, uh, directly no, 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 across no, the street. Like, yeah. Directly across the street. Yeah. The core area CIPs. Yeah. Uh, and what is classified as the core area in the official plan? They are. Both of these are in the core yeah, area. Correct. You might want to argue that the CMHA1 is just outside the official OEV BIA boundary, but it is, it is still in the core it area. It is WOA, <laughs> not <Yeah>. EOA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say I would suspect there that neighbors would be somewhat on board with it from the perspective of a very few neighborhoods see more of the impacts of homelessness in that one, and b yeah. it's directly across the street from London Police Headquarters. Yes. Like, what do you think is right. going to happen? But it's always had right. a history. Yes, right. that know, one has been there forever. New. Yeah, it's the existing new. service there. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think my sister's place will do a phenomenal job running. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, I, I think they'll do a really good job. So. I, th I think the bite they're going to have is is the one on uh, Fanshawe. Let's yeah. talk about Let's that. Let's talk about Yes, Fanshawe. because it is <laughs> in the London Free Press today. Uh, I've, I I actually drew up the tweet and didn't have a chance to put it out before this, but my my NIMBY bingo card. <laughs> a bunch Can't of, wait to play. Uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of stamps got, uh, got stamped <laughs> off in that London Free Press piece. Yeah. Uh, look, that this is going to be natural, especially in that end of the city. I don't think you're going to get that pushback at the core. And like, you know, no one who lives up and down Richmond is going to say, oh, why are you expanding? Well, I've got a problem. They're going to have more people coming in there. I've got a problem yeah. with that. No one's going to say that. But that end of the city, you're going to get that. Uh, no one should be shocked by it, but do you think that council is going to have to listen to it, or how do you think they'll react to it? Well, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> that end of the city has never been touched. Well, there this you go. That's end why of the city it's about needs time. to be touched. It's about uh, time. The south end of the city is is getting uh, YOU and a, a LOSHA, yeah. and you don't hear everybody going, "Oh my God, we're." You're not going to hear that from the south end of London. Here's why. Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, though, is that the spots that it's going at the hospital and at uh, at um, the old veterans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the two spots it's going is going to be mo almost exclusively surrounded by A, hospital lands, or B, commercial property. Uh, wrong. Where mm -hmm. else? Well, it's homes. Yeah, just, I know just, there are some homes just, that are not far away. No, there's homes right across. Yeah, there are homes right across. Oh yeah, the I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's there is. There's, that's there's homes yeah, no, right, right there. You're right. That yeah, are you're just right. South of just, the river. just on the other side of baseline. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Right. Yeah, there's okay, you're right. There's. I, I was thinking about the other which is a the hospital, wonderful neighborhood. I've I've walked through there many times when I used to live in Old South. 
is a wonderful neighborhood full of families, and you don't see them up in arms. But now we've got the Northwest families. Oh God, we yep. can't yep. we can't put one of these in a disused motel on a commercial property. Oh my! Well, th- there's a school there too. <laughs> You're not going to see pushback. Yeah. And and I, you know what? I challenge the council member who represents that area yeah. to to sort of think about the whole picture. Yeah. Are you going to be the kind of counselor that says, well, my constituents said no, so I'm not going to support it? Yeah. Or are you going to be the counselor who says, this is good for the whole city of London. I'm going to and, support it. And therein and the lies spillovers the job. And, and you know this as well as anyone, Cheryl. Yep. There's, there are, you're, you have essentially two jobs. There's London City Councilor. Yep. And in this case, Corinne Rahman is the Ward 7 City Councilor. Oh, okay. And sometimes those two jobs the priorities will not be the same. They should be. And yeah. and they, they should be. And yeah. when you did the job, oh, yeah. you were a London City Councilor. And I was And not- I'm not saying Corinne Rahm's done anything wrong. Like, she hasn't voted on this yet. All I'm saying is the city of London should ha- the, the best thing for the city of London is that goes there. And yes, it works of out. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, you, it, you got to think of the corporate body. <clears throat> yeah. as, a, as a simple counselor, single counselor, single trustee, the corporate body is the decision maker, and that's who you got to back. And I, I like it or not, one of my biggest concerns, unfortunately, with this is they have to get through the rezoning, and there is a potential here that staff a time challenge. out the clock on it and drag this out as long as they can because they know the public opinion is going to be the worst, and we know there's going to be organized resistance. There's likely going to be an appeal to the OMB. I was just going to say, I that's think the, what the, fear. the best thing council can do there are provisions within the planning act and there are now provisions under the strong mayor's act that's right to do it they need to step up as a mayor and council use those powers because we are in a emergency situation we have declared that this is an emergency situation and they need to step up do the rezoning and then pass a hold provision to hold it for two years and then it can't be appealed for two years yeah and then so, it gets in place. I was I, I wanted to clarify that with you, AJ. Yep. So so council can just say yep. we're not even going to hear this for two years if they want it. If they want. Yep, they and can, that's something that put it was put in by the Ford government. Just no, recently. it is okay. a provision that has been in the planning act for decades. Okay, and the no, problem why does nobody use, use it? <laughs> no, well, so the problem is when you use it, you're only allowed to use it once, and then you can't use it on that property again for another ten years. Okay, and so there will be appeals that can then be heard in two years. And there, there will be appeals that can go forward. But what you can do as a city is get it in place, refuse to enforce on it unless a court orders you to, which I will tell you no court right now in Ontario is ever going to tell a city that they need to enforce a building code on a property that is for social services and healthcare. We saw that in Waterloo, where the regional Waterloo actually was trying to remove people from public property, and the court told them, no, you can't remove them from public property, even though there was plenty of private landowners that were also trying to but get an injunction. after two years, yeah. they can redo the rezoning. Exactly. So that's done. So like it's... Here's your two years, get over it, yeah. rezone it. Rezone it. And, but that and big, do the big picture is NIMBYism, isn't it? Because yes. um, for how long have we all known in this community, we have a housing crisis, a homelessness no. crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we have, what was the count? 2,000 people uh, experiencing homelessness in the city right now, approximately. I would be, if I were betting money, I would say it's higher than that, Steve. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think it's hidden. And yeah. I mean, we also we need to think about hidden homelessness where there's people who are you know, they have access to a couch two right. nights a week. Or they're in an abusive situation and they are so afraid of not having a roof over their head, particularly for women. This is a huge issue that they get trapped in these abusive situations because there isn't enough space to get them into their own housing. These are people who still have income and still have resources right. mm-hmm. and still can probably put a roof over their head if they had enough support for rent geared to income housing. And the other thing that I think the city really needs to step up about, and I was so disappointed in when the federal government came in and said, we're announcing money that we've already announced that we said we were going to fund three years ago because I was really hoping that was going to be an announcement about getting the Vision Soho Alliance development off the ground and approved because we need those houses and we need those units today. And unfortunately, if we keep dragging this out, it's going to be years because really, Steve, what that is, 
is those are the units that the people that go through your program are going to end up in living. for long-term living and be able to live a productive life. Yeah, exactly. it's going to be a nice location. Too. Exactly. Well, when we first developed the Cornerstone, it's permanent housing in the Cornerstone building. It's 30 yep. units in that building at Richmond, New York now. And uh, the average stay was about four months. And that was intentional. We built that building or created, the, developed that building with that intention. Small units, downtown, busy intersection. People get girlfriends, boyfriends. They go to school. They get a job. They're going to naturally move into a new neighborhood and in bed like any of us do when our families develop and so on. But the throughput on the other side isn't happening as much anymore. So now the average stay in the cornerstone is well over a year. Uh, the average stay in our shelter is now 90 days. When we first opened it, it was 30 uh, and uh, and so we want we, we need more stock to bring that back down. That's why yeah. Soho and developments like that become so important. Yeah. And what a perfect neighborhood for uh, typically for folks that don't have cars, yep. that aren't going to rely on you know commuting here and there and there. Close and to it downtown. might be a way to finally justify getting a downtown grocery store somewhere huh. along York or Richmond. Maybe because all of a sudden you around, bring in fifteen hundred people. Yeah. yeah, maybe in and around hypothetically the area of Rideout and King. What a concept. Just, a, I, I'm just guessing as to where. And, you know, maybe maybe this also is finally an excuse to build a downtown recreation center that we still desperately need. I, especially with the closure of the Temps Bowl. Appreciate the choir one of, there. One <laughs> of the best sites for that mm-hmm. is the parking lot yes. across from the uh, uh, RBC Center. Yeah. RBC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the parking lot. I know people talk about the parking lot across a cut at Kitty Corner from London Hydro. There, from what I understand, the problem is that sits in the floodplain. Right. So yeah. that's the only not thing only you that, do. Yeah. But it's there's got, also some brownfield situation yes, there that would be yeah. a big time cleanup. There's yeah. junk there. Yeah. Yeah. But that one right beside the train tracks, perfect site. Um, I think they want sixteen million dollars for it. Yeah. And that's, you see... Expropriate. Okay, see, you see Because, like, you can't keep whistling. Especially if you don't do the assessment first and you just pay fair market value based on the 2016 assessment. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait till the assessment is done, folks. It's, your taxes are going to go... Well, what about the, the Free Press building? I, I, what happened to the tech incubator that was going to go in there? Maybe expropriate that, too, while you're, uh, while, while you're signing I checks. mean, that, well, that's Shimon an interesting site that. because... I think I think Farhi has some interesting thoughts around development. We've seen some proposals, and I think that is one of the sites where we may see a landmark proposal like the one that is also going into the west of the train station that they're um, proposing from York. So, Yeah, do you think that ha- I've seen proposals my whole life with him? I can remember the beautiful proposal, what he was going to do with the uh, library on Queen's Ave. Yep. Gorgeous build up out of it. That was yeah. the first time he pulled the... Yeah, all yeah. over our eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I know you're still mad about it because you got conned. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. People can change, Cheryl. Please, yeah. people can change. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and, there, and therein, therein lies the trouble, yeah. AJ. I do if think you, if, Bankers if, if, Row, though. Yeah. I do think Bankers Row. And and knowing the people that are now working in that company that have come out of the urban development yeah, program in the last five years, yeah. I have a lot of confidence in Farhi, Farhi's ability to get things built. And I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised with what goes up on Bankers Row. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the concept. Yeah, but the, it, but, but it's, so it's, typical. it's moving forward. It, but it's so typical of the city too. Of Immediately, course. staff came back and you know well, have heritage. issues about heritage and heritage views right. and yeah. you know. Right. I, and I mean, to be honest, one of the hilarious aspects of of that proposal is. So you just want to abandoned burnt out shell sitting there for the next 25 years is that you know more conducive to heritage <laughs> than actually conserving those buildings and contributing don't you new remember housing? the talbot block oh they circled oh. the talbot block <laughs> so that we didn't tear it down oh my god have you seen the talbot block lately it's uh, full yeah. of people exactly yeah. exactly and you know it it's I think we really need to come to terms with that we have to build both market and not market housing. Yep. And we're getting it all right on the market housing. But my God, are we really struggling on leadership with non market housing and the city needs to really step up. Council needs to step up. I think the mayor has done an all right job, but I don't think he has got 
forceful enough about how uh, to get Vision Soho built. Yes. I want to get back to, to Hubs real quick because I want to ask Steve yeah. uh, about the other proposals and, and, and not necessarily YOUs. But do you think that what you've seen here as far as who are proposing we're going to help and, you know, the spaces that we've seen will be an effective way to, to be in the, the an effective first wave of Hubs here based on what you've read? Actually, the first wave, absolutely. Because yeah. uh, each one of these hubs, I've seen some discussions about, well, how many dollars per year, per bed, per, bed, yes. per night, and all and that I've stuff. I've seen that too. Yeah, and the math doesn't work that way because no, these no. folks aren't residing in these hubs. This is, they're no. currently staying in tents. Right. Yeah. They're in parks and sidewalks and, you, and doorways all around our city. You need staff, you, you need, need all these things. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. what the hub is, it's a landing place for another step towards housing. Now, we just talked about how badly we need that other housing so that that throughput happens more quickly. They want to be housed. There's Nobody sets out to want to live in a tent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, they don't want to live in a hub either. They want to get out and go into a community as fast as they can. But it's going to take time because stock is so limited these days. Well, and, and Steve, I think you make a really good point of trying to do those calculations of per bed doesn't really speak to what the hubs I think are going to end up doing in actually providing a service to the people that are in the surrounding area. Again, people in the Northwest, there are homeless individuals in the Northwest that are living in tents in That's the parks right. along the Thames. They are a lot closer to that than they are going to be to a core area or a Southern hub. So we need hubs up in that location. But I, I really do think when we talk about that per bed calculation, it really doesn't represent the types of services that are going to be put out and the types no. of navigation that this is going to but give that's, people. No. Maybe that's the answer. Yeah. What what services are available in the hub rather than staff? What's yeah. available? Well, I'll what give you an have? example of something we've been doing with the hospital for quite some time now called No Fixed Address. Uh, or I think it's called that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, so it's an outreach worker from Youth Opportunities Unlimited. He or she spends his or her time in the hallways, uh, inpatient care, uh, at Parkwood, as well as at, uh, at Children's Hospital, helping support youth who are in inpatient care, psychiatric care in the hospitals. Because <clears throat> for the folks that they're connecting with, these are folks that would be released to homelessness otherwise. Yeah. It's a research project with a national leader, Dr. Cheryl Forchuk, uh, Lawson Research Foundation, Western University, and now, the, and now uh, Children's Hospital has continued on with this project directly with YOU because they see it in part as a diversion opportunity to divert away from emergency department, which is one of the most expensive services you can access anywhere for a social service. It's a care platform. This is all about getting people who otherwise don't have that care, not released to homelessness in the city. And the model that we've talked about under this Health and the Homelessness Summit isn't specifically about that but it's about finding new ways like that where we can build together across these many siloed organizations in a way that for the person that lives in an encampment, the person that's being released from some institution, that there's a model of care there for them so they don't end up in a tent. And that's the problem. Yeah. There's and no to, care. And to be clear, like some of the other services that are going to be offered in the hubs are like basic wound care. Exactly. That, you know, typically would have to be addressed through hospital right. or EMS. Exactly. Um, you know, just the value of that alone and how many hours that's probably going to free up for EMS and, well, and, and police uh, is huge. And this is what I keep saying to people yeah. about it. If you think that the cost per bed is expensive at these hubs, take a look at the hospital budget. See how that goes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we could or, track the Or the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center. You yeah. want to also talk about a cost intensity? Yeah. So yeah. If, you, yeah. if, if you think that you're going to get a, a, a couple of nights where someone doesn't have to spend in the hospital or at EMDC, these hubs more than pay for themselves. Okay, but let's exactly. be careful here. Yes. Let's yeah. be careful. Understand the funding mechanism for them are completely different. Yes. yes. And that's fair. I acknowledge that, and, that yeah. this is coming from the property tax base, yes. not the provincial tax base. And, and I get that. what bothered me right from the get-go is there is no agreement between the upper levels of government, federal and provincial, that are tied with these hubs to ensure that if, yeah. if we're offering health care and we're saving yeah. money in the hospital... The province should pay some of the freight. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And or should fund capital place. improvements in the hospital. Yeah. And the, but now, the in this particular case, the capital using improvements the are being funded by an anonymous donor, which is yeah. great, but yeah. we're not going to be able to do that that many times. But, I mean, yeah. that's, ju that's just the first go at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, again, what I said at the outset. 
what is the plan in 20 years for these? Right. And, and Steve, I think you have a great plan of what the still is in 20 years because you're always going to need that type of a youth-specific lens. But some of these hubs should just be temporary, you know, five to 15 years to really get a handle on the issue. But then we need to have a really good conversation about what those could turn into. I mean, for example, the Crouch Road community um, hub that has existed for 30 odd years yep. is still a fantastic resource for that neighborhood. And that really is a model for what a hub could turn into in 30 years. Hamilton. Hamilton Road, sorry, not Crouch Road. Crouch Road yeah. Library, that's, I'm thinking That's of. my yeah. old stomping ground. Yeah. That was my which, old library. Yeah, which you know the, the big fight that there was to keep that open uh, oh, about yeah. a decade I was, ago. I was a, I was a counselor, <laughs> and we were smart enough to hire Daryl Skidmore as yep. the head of the library, and they rebuilt that, and it's great. Yeah. And it is a wonderful service. It sure yep. is. And so maybe this is an opportunity for the Northwest to get a new youth center in oh. 15, 20 years. What a concept. Well, how about downtown first? Well, uh, of course. I think, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, let's be, I, I want to be fair to the Steve. North, and, uh, the North you know, gets everything. Yeah. Yeah. We, there's a, there's maybe, a whole... maybe you got to make a deal. I, all I'm saying is maybe we make a deal to there's shut a, them up. A whole lot of stuff <laughs> north of Oxford. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They get a lot. Lots of stuff. Up there. <laughs> yeah. um, as I can see north of Oxford, very rarely outside this window. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I'm, I, I'm optimistic about this plan. And I, I, I know that uh, there are some people in the city who are not, but I'm optimistic about it. And is this going to work? I don't know. And anyone claiming that they know this is going to work properly, no. uh, they don't know that. No. Uh, but I think this is as good as we're going to do as far but, as the plan goes. But so let's, let's get these four yep. off the ground. Again, council needs to step up, get this rezoning done, yep. allow this Bull one. Bull in a China shop up, style yeah, rezone. Just, yep. just run it over. Like, enough. Enough. We know there are going to be people who are going to be upset. But they have no legitimate planning argument. That is what we need the adults in the room to say. And the counselors need to start acting like adults and say that there is no legitimate argument. And we are confident in that and decision. And the mayor needs to exercise the powers that, that he has been given. given. That's right. Oh. I think when you look at who's around the players and you think, okay, you've got a multi, more than a billion dollar world-class institution stepping forward saying, we see this as a step forward, and we want to partner with local not-for-profits yeah. to find a way forward in a housing crisis. That has to give any listener out there some confidence that we're at least on the right path. Yeah. We'd better learn as we tweak and better adjust as we implement these things and realize a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that, maybe one over here, one over there, those kinds of things. But we're at a great starting point exactly. if council approves it. I always hate conversation. <laughs> here's, here's, here's what I would say. I, I get surprised at council from the time. Not regularly. You know, once or twice a year. Oh. Uh, I would be only shocked. Shocked. This if this if yeah. this doesn't get eight votes. Yeah. Yes. Shocked. Yeah. yeah. It won't get fifteen. No. But it's going to get eight. It's going to get eight. Well, yeah. council approved yeah. the, the yeah. RFP. Yeah, exactly. They approved yeah. the But again, process. my concern is the rezoning on that one that's on Fanshawe Road. Yeah. That has to come from council because staff yeah. aren't going to aren't going to override the process because it's against yeah. the the planning act. Council just so has to say where uh, council needs to stick out their neck the on can, behalf can the, of staff. Can the mayor just say on his own? I don't, yes. I, well, he can. Yeah. He can put it forward as a housing initiative. Yeah. Yep. And that only requires what is it? Twenty uh, percent of council. Um. Or a thirty, third. a third of council. So, yes, yeah. and then two thirds would have to vote to reconsider. Yeah, I would be very surprised if you get two thirds to not want to do that. And yeah. if if yeah. you're going to poke the bear for that, Soho, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there are there are not for profits ready to build. Right. Yeah, because because part of the 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 concern that we got. Yeah. From Susan Stevenson, as an example, is this stuff always goes in OEV? This stuff always goes in OEV? And yeah. I, I sort of I, I understand yeah. to a point where she's coming Which from. Which I that. understand Councillor yeah, Stevenson's yeah, yeah, so approach there. So she may have been against a portion of this plan, but if if the, the vote is, hey, let's do some rezoning in Northwest London, yeah. that would be against what she said earlier, as far as where like she has concerns about always putting this stuff in the same neighborhoods. We don't put this yeah. stuff out there. And I think Councillor Stevenson yeah. probably would come behind that because I would I would suspect so. It I would relieves talk to her, the pressure on so. her ward yeah. that there is a lot of pressure on there that is. ward. Totally. Um, and and people need to wake up to the reality that yeah, democratically, Susan Stevenson was elected, and she is responding to the interests of her constituents. Yeah, and, that, and there is a lot of pressure in that neighborhood that 
needs to be dealt with. Right. So. And 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 that's the thing that I think that people sometimes and, and do I agree with every single thing Councillor Stevenson Absolutely says? No, and I've talked to her about that here on the yeah. roundtable. Yeah. However, I think people have to understand that there are a lot of people who live in Ward Four who do agree with everything yes, they she do. says. Yes. Yeah. About hey, there are too many yeah. social agencies here. Hey, the the burden in this particular yeah. area of the city is too big. There are a lot of people who feel the exact same way she does about that. And if you are pretending otherwise, you are putting your head in the sand. Yeah, I like the no. fact that she's a bold woman that's not frightened to to rock some boats and says exactly what she feels and what she oh. hears from her constituents. Because <laughs> so many mealy mouth politicians sit around so many tables who never have the guts to say the truth. And yeah. the one thing she does is she never pulls a punch. Yeah. And, you know, Stevenson has been out in front on every core area issue. And unfortunately, David, sometimes nowhere to be found. Who? 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 Yeah. The uh, (laughs) Ward 13 counselor, David Ferreira? I will say. Well, I think he's hopped in it and gone, man. Yeah. I I don't know where he is most of the time, but it's really frustrating. And I think when you compare those two. He's terrible. I think it really speaks volumes to. Yeah who is actually caring about the core area right now and who is just kind of sitting back and seeing where the wind blows again. Well, I yeah. love it when he said, no comment. Oh, oh come on. Come on. on which story was the no comment? V- downtown. The downtown. Like, you can't have no that. Comment. You can't have that. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, I want to talk about one more thing before I wrap up here because we're up against the clock. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you all about the large protest that we saw uh, this week. On Wednesday, it was the million for whatever. I don't care what the branding was. Uh, I went there because I was covering it. I was pretty disturbed by a few things, mostly that the crowd sizes were relatively even on both sides of the street. I will say, and I said this on Twitter, I'm going to say it again, London Police, phenomenal job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal job with that yeah. protest. They deserve all the kudos you can possibly give them. They did a really great job. And I think that's some of Trong's leadership coming in yep. from I York Region and yeah. dealing with yeah. the chaos that was York Region yeah. School Board. Yep. So. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I've, uh, this is not his first rodeo. Yeah, this is not his first rodeo with yep. school-based issues. Yes. So. Nonetheless, uh, it happened and it was kind of an ugly scene. Uh, Cheryl, when you were sort of watching the coverage of this and the, and the story unfold, what were your thoughts on it? Um, oh, I was really sad. <clears throat> I mean, the right to protest, absolutely. They love yep. that. But the division that we're seeing every day in this country is not bringing us together. It's driving us apart. And when I look at them, I, I, I think part of the whole problem is that there's there's no conversation between the school board and the schools and the parents. Like the parents are There's a ton of misconceptions about what's actually in the curriculum. Exactly. Tons of misconceptions. It's a massive misinformation environment that isn't being corrected by the school board. The school board the school board is not putting out statements about curriculum. They just shut the doors and say, you know, we don't we don't stand for hate. And it's like, well, how is that helpful to actually addressing the radicalization that's going on? The problem I have is that the communication, too many parents are uh, on their phone. I notice Two parents were walking by today, pushing their baby carts, talking to their phones. Yeah. And I thought, God, this is a terrible society. If we're getting our information from assholes on the phone that have a different agenda, yeah. then go talk to They want to sow chaos. Yeah. The people go that talk are talking about, oh, your school board is going to transition your kids. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those people are just trying to sow chaos. Yeah. And, it's, and it's sad. It's sad and, that there's a lot of people that actually believe that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's shocking. And it's sad they get that many supporters. And then at the end of the day, what's really sad is, okay, that was yesterday, right? Uh, or two Wednesday, days ago. Wednesday, Wednesday. Um, we're not talking about it anymore, but those people haven't gone, haven't disappeared. I can assure you those they're, people are still talking about it. They're still yeah. talking about it. Yeah. And, uh, and we don't, to Cheryl's point earlier, we don't, as a community, we don't talk more to understand each other. We don't need to agree at all. And there's some, oh my gosh, there's some, you know, rhetoric out there. Of course, you can't yeah. debate reasonably. But what do you do? Do you just shut it down and push it away? But the other problem with this is it, it, the conflict that we're seeing and the, the entrenchment that we have seen on both sides of it have sucked all the oxygen out of having a reasonable discussion right. on yeah. one of my biggest issues right now with this policy is, okay, you are concerned that if you tell a parent about a child having... Wanting to transition or different pronouns or whatever wants different pronouns or believes that they are trans, which again, the existence of people being trans is not up for debate. That is a reality. That is a fact. But 
what needs to be discussed is, okay, you have an issue with telling that parent. Why is this then not a children's aid question? If you're concerned about violence in the home, you're concerned about abuse of this child, why are you then not reporting that to the actual let's, professionals? Let's, let's not go down that path. Yeah. That, that is a horror show for any teacher. I know it's a horror show for any teacher, but that's that's the conversation we happen. need to have about the policy. Because it if a teacher is just doing that, the worst case, the the best case is in two years that child child is going to be outed to their parents through the grapevine, and that is the worst thing that could happen well, to that child. And in the short time, well, in the short time, some of the worst cases that child then leads to self harm. That child exactly. withdraws, and because and that Steve, child's been outed by this a is your institution. Work. Exactly. How often do you have someone come to your door at YIU and say, "I've been kicked out of mom and dad's house uh -huh. because I'm gay"? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's horrifying yeah. to think that that's a reality. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a significant number where that's exactly it. They're because living with they're, us because their family can't accept that they're trans, they're gay, uh, whatever their identity is, their family can't accept it and they kick them out. Yeah. 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 And, and the, the problem I have with placing this on teachers is actually one of empathy because they are not equipped to deal with these complex issues. They don't have the same confidentiality provisions that a trained psychologist or youth psychiatrist or social worker has, and we are putting them in an extremely awkward position. I am fine in... They you, don't have in, anything else, though. Yeah. The kid, if the kid can't tell the parents and they come and tell the teachers, yes. what do the teachers do? There's... See, the teachers the, need to direct those students to the actual supports that are there. I, oh, I completely believe. The yeah. like, that's, that's, that's the conversation we need to have, Cheryl. That's the conversation we need to have. There isn't any. Yeah. 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 And, and that's uh, what we need so to have. We need supports in the schools. teachers, and we're marching on the streets um, with, with misinformation, which is unfortunate. Yep. Yep. And the school board needs to send a letter to every parent, which they have, to capacity to do because yeah, emails. They, they, they emails all the time I get from the <laughs> yeah. board. Yeah. So do something about it. Yeah. Don't shut your fucking doors. I yeah. can't stand that. When yeah. I was chair of the board, they, they we were protest yeah. they were protesting about a contract. I canceled the meeting. I went outside and I said to them, this is stupid. Let's sit down at the table and talk like adults. Nobody talks. Nobody's talking like adults. No, and I mean they're they're shutting down parent councils, from what I hear. Like they they've closed the door on those, and there's no actual venue in which for the board and the parents to interact anymore. And it's unfortunate because that's just going to lead to more polarization and more radicalization and the spread of more inf misinformation about what's going on inside schools. Yep. And and this is you know such an unfortunate thing. And one of the things I want to call out is. You know, the real quick, premier, like a minute left. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. So the premier said, I don't know what school boards do anymore. Uh -huh. Fair yes. question. But Cheryl, maybe it's time for the school boards actually to step up as that vehicle for social service. Because the if, if the board. premier, because if the premier doesn't know what school boards are doing, like, why do we have them? Yeah. Well, we, that, that's and, a and good that, the question. The premier should know because <laughs> everything's being run from the province anyway. Yep. So if you're going to pretend you don't know what school boards are doing anymore, you're yep. being an idiot. Which we all know the only thing that they have left is some minor real estate control that is right. frankly informed by a provincial process. And but, further to that, the, the real estate job they do here in London is bad as we see in the northwest yeah. end of the city. Yeah. Uh, but training for the teachers, the, going back to that earlier yeah. analogy, a child, a, a, a young person tells their teacher, that young person has entrusted that teacher with uh, with incredible, incredibly important information. Yeah. That can't be. I need to put you in touch with a counselor, or social worker, or I need to report this to your parents. No. You've broken that trust in such a devastating way. That child then is compromised significantly. Yeah. So we have to train our teachers. We have to get on board yeah. with how do we then process that information and, and not have a debate that's about, well, the parents need to be involved and guide and tell the people right away. What a fundamental break. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up there. Uh, more of the Craig Needles podcast coming up uh, next week. We'll have more Greenbelt talk next week. Thank you very much to Steve <laughs> and to AJ and to Cheryl for doing the podcast with us this week. And of course, you can find us at classicrock981.com and londonnewstoday.ca. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 